This is Americana, the podcast about politics, the news, history, and whatever comes up in the discussion in between. This episode, I am joined with my co-host Isaac in discussing the 2020 elections, the Democratic candidates, the recent shootings, as well as some other more in-depth topics such as the INF Treaty. And if you stick around to the end, you can listen to the riffing section of the podcast where Isaac and I talk about 50s propaganda, words that we find interesting, ghost stories, ethical dilemmas, and more. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, please stick around and listen and enjoy. I'm Joe. This is Americana. Today I'm joined by my co-host, Isaac. What is up? So, um, for the first episode, it's going to be a little more informal. Uh, We have topics of discussion, um, and we're just going to kind of naturally discuss things and talk and, you know, have actual discussions about these things. So, we are outside, so if there's any background noise, you know... Gotta bear with us. Yeah, bear with us. Apologize, but hopefully you'll stick around for some discussion. So, as a a general opening topic, I thought it would be nice to talk about the 2020 election. That's, of course, the big political news in America, apart from the recent shootings. But, you know, to sort of allow things to develop... Bit of a downer. Well, you know, not (laughs) go into depth about that. So with the 2020 election, we have, of course, uh, President Donald Trump for the Republican Party. He won't lose to the other guy that's running, Yeah, (laughs) Uh, whoever that is. And we've got a lineup of uh, Democratic candidates. Um, I believe there's, what, 23 in total? Okay. Um, Some of which we haven't seen yet because they just haven't been accepted on the debate stage. And we probably will never see. Um, <laughs> I believe one what's his name, Mike Steyer or something like that. He, he we haven't seen him yet. And there was another guy named Mike Gravel, right? Oh yes, Mike, Mike Gravel. Gravel from Alaska. From Alaska. <laughs> but um, yeah, of course we have the big front runners. We have Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Those are sort of the uh, the big the big hitters. And we've got Kamala Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Yes. From Hawaii. Hawaii. Uh, Julian Castro. Uh, Andrew Yang. Jay Inslee. Bill de Blasio. Generally, Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Michael Bennett. I remember all of them. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand is Kirsten in there. Gillibrand. Andy Inslee. Klobuchar. Inslee. Yeah, Inslee. Um, I'm forgetting some girls, maybe. Maybe not. Okay. I don't know. That's pretty close to all yeah, of them. Yeah, it's pretty close to all of them. And if it isn't. A lot of no names. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of nobodies. I'm sure I've, nobodies. I've forgotten someone like extremely important. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, I'm not sure you said. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I don't I don't recall. But okay. So yeah, there's Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, she's a big one. Yeah, she's, she's one of the big hitters. So, with the 2020 Democrats, are there any that are sticking out to you as far as, you know, success or... Yeah. I, I, I think, like? yeah. A little bit of meta commentary as far as the debates themselves... I feel like there's a general knowledge that a lot of them aren't going to go anywhere as far as the presidential nomination. 
but you hear a lot of applause and you hear some roaring applause with some like you know kind of no-name people i mean um as much as i love tulsi she had a little little bit of a bout with um uh, uh kamala harris and mm-hmm. and others um who's the one fella from montana was it John Delaney. Oh yeah, John, John Delaney. Delaney. I forgot about John. Delaney. He he had a, a bit of a bout with with uh, I think with Warren, if I'm not mistaken. But the point, of course, being that they're they're kind of people who aren't really going to go anywhere. I think in terms of the presidential nomination, but there's this spirit of sort of the left wing party and just sort of the general, I don't know, uh, overarching opinions that are being expressed that I think is sort of conducive to the debate that they're, get, they're given a big hand for, which is cool. It's nice to see that mm-hmm. as somebody who, who maybe isn't completely infatuated with everything being said. It is cool to see just the sort of nature of the debates. There's a lot of talk about them not being as in-depth as people would like it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like just kind of hand-raising in the first uh, yeah. A couple debates there. I wasn't fond of the hand raising questions. Yeah. I, I feel like it was more of like yeah. a gotcha thing. Yeah. Like, how many of you would support, you know, healthcare for undocumented, <laughs> you know, citizens? Medicaid, yeah, Medicaid, yeah. Yeah, but. But yeah. Is it a helpful tool? Not really. Is it, is it at least. Is it, like kind of Andrew Yang hinted at the most recent debate. He talked about it being essentially reality television. And I think he was very true. On that note, I remember recently asking Joe and a couple other friends about whether or not we would watch the Democratic national nominees uh, play chess. And to that, <laughs> we, we kind of had a joking remark about, well, I, I think we'd probably watch them play anything. Yeah, I would, was. <laughs> I would. I would, like, like, I think I brought this up. I would watch them if they just huddled them into a bar and were recording them. I feel that would be so entertaining. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, why are we here? It's like, you know, we're just holding for now and have them there for like an hour and just discussing. I want to see what kind of awkward things would happen, sure. what, what sort of interesting things would happen, the sort of discussions that would come yeah. about. I would want to see, you know, Tim Ryan sit alone in the corner of the room <laughs> and, and kind of talk about the climate core. Yeah. <laughs> yeah climate core. Enjoy the climate core. <laughs> but I, I would, yeah, I would watch them do pretty much anything. Absolutely. I think that really gets to the issue of the debates themselves. I mean, uh, it's kind of awkward or clumsy to mention this in uh, the first podcast, but but of course the Joe Rogan experience. I, I think there was some talk of um, some people on Twitter, like if if they, which I think a few of them were. I think Tulsi Gabbard, or yes, Tulsi Gabbard was definitely on. Um, I don't think Yang was, but a few of them were on the Joe Rogan experience. But I think like that sort of long form, two hour, two and a half hour odd long pad podcast where you're kind of you're under the hot plate the whole time. Mm-hmm. Under the thumb of just Joe's erratic, have you tried DMT questions? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure where that thought was going. But yeah, it's, it was definitely interesting to debate themselves. But as far as like, to answer your question, who's standing out? I think Pete Buttigieg mm-hmm. kind of stood out to me. Somebody I wasn't real. I heard him talked about a lot by a lot of political commentators, but I hadn't really looked into him much myself. And he, he definitely kind of jumped at you a lot mm-hmm. of the debates. I would agree with that. I think of all the people that stuck out to me in that, without, yeah, I'll, I'll be personal about it because if I'm going to offer some genuine opinions here. Sure. I, I do like Pete Buttigieg. I think out of everybody, I agree with Pete Buttigieg the most. I feel like he's, he's left of center, definitely. He's more 
moderately centered than say mm-hmm. something like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. uh, and the likes. And I agree with his stance on like healthcare, and uh, but not so much the guns. Um, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He's a little extreme on that. And as someone who I am a Democrat, but I'm a quote unquote social libertarian according to the multiple online <laughs> you know political spectrum quizzes however yeah. accurate that may be yeah. so I, and I, I grew up with guns so I, that's the one thing I do disagree with um, uh, people to judges plan for gun control maybe that's an inappropriate word but I, I suppose it fits but you know my family are all pretty sold on Joe Biden they feel like he can win and he can battle trump and all that he seems like the vanilla flavor of all the democrats yeah he's definitely the most moderate but he's still yeah. ha- he's like grabbing at some more farther left things one thing I, I that joe biden isn't very forthcoming on a whole lot other that isn't brought about through questioning of other candidates so someone asks that's him, true like, you know you see this and this and like, no i believe this so yeah. you know it's it's usually not brought about by a commentator's questions brought about by like Kamala yeah. Harris or, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, when he's under the hot seat there. But with Joe Biden, he isn't very forthcoming on anything to me, especially one of the things I look for in a candidate is their um, stance on climate change. And that's, that's, oh, that's important to me. It's a developing, like, political issue. Yeah, it's definitely. If you don't have at least sort of like a bumper sticker idea about it or you're, or you're not vocal about it, you're, you're, you're almost like there's an air of uncertainty about uh, mm-hmm. Which people look at you. Yeah. You almost have to have a take on it now. And with Joe Biden, he does have a climate um, Not a climate core. Plan. Not a climate core. <laughs> no climate core like Tim Ryan's climate core. <laughs> but he has a plan, and you can read about it on your website, but I would like to hear it from him. And my mom's like, oh, yeah, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. And I feel like I'd, I almost have to vote for Joe Biden because he's the safe bet. He's the one that's carrying the Democratic Party right now. People think that he can win, that he can beat Trump. But then again, some issues are raised with his age. I a little mean, sleepy. He a little, a little, <laughs> a little sleepy Joe. Thing about him is, is you can tell during the debate he does stutter, and everybody stutters. Yeah, I mean, it's a natural thing, even especially when you're getting older. But when you're a target for Donald Trump, that's that's not going to fare too well. Yeah, being older and a little you know slower uh, speaking fella. So that's that's my concern with Joe Biden is that he might yeah. seem too old. I, I think what maybe as far as candidates, Biden aside, I think he, he still has kind of a stable footing. I think somebody who really crumbled and crashed and burned and definitely made it evident that they weren't somebody who was going to be a titan to take on Trump was Kamala Harris. I think she really showed her colors. Mm-hmm. She really, she she likes to make it seem like she's, you know, former prosecutor, a cop um, <laughs> uh, who, who was very kind of hardened. And when it comes to political discourse or even mm-hmm. just general discourse for that matter. But it definitely seemed in the debates she just kind of floundered and I didn't agree. really Especially near the end when she started being a little more hypocritical. She was talking about, you know, she would attack Joe Biden and then when Tulsi Gabbard comes out against her and she goes, Well it's not all, you know, big ideas and attacks on a fancy stage. But ten minutes ago, she yeah. was doing the exact same thing yeah. that Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, my apologies. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard did to her to, as she did to Joe Biden. Yeah. And then she's talking about you know, 
arrest records and all this and that. And she's like, yes, we Biden. have to, we have to impeach, you know, Donald Trump and this and that. I've seen people arrested for much less and like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you arrested what? 1500 people on like what? Marijuana charges? Yeah. Like possession of marijuana. Yep. So I agree. Kamala Harris definitely, I, I think if I had to say, kind of shot herself in the foot definitely or was put in a situation yeah. only with of course you know in part to her own actions mm-hmm. was definitely put in a situation that debate where she's going to come off as kind of you know lackluster almost yeah I don't know. and i feel like uh kirsten gillibrand sort of did the oh same thing oh my gosh if i could because, listen to her yeah <laughs> oh my God. uh the thing with kirsten gillibrand is you know, women's rights is a great platform to run, but not right now because there's a yeah. lot of tough issues at hand right now that people want answers for. Yeah, try to sell something like that to a general populace that is absolutely disillusioned and scared crapless about climate change. Yeah. You, know, you get up there and talk about women's rights. I mean, it's completely valid, I'm sure, and like you know, there's certainly room for it in the political debate, but like, I don't know, there's just bigger things at play i think that like things as far as larger topics that we're referencing is probably things mm-hmm. like the, the sort of border crisis mm-hmm. um immigration and what have you and then of course climate which is a, a, a increasingly larger topic along with the border crisis yeah i agree and not to sound like a quote-unquote bigot <laughs> not to be a bigot because you know bro. two guys sound like oh women's rights not important right now yeah it is yeah. important but Absolutely. You know, her entire campaign seems to be based it's, around... It's a hard thing to, like, have your cornerstone to be, I think, right now. Yeah. Especially as a white, sort of upper-class, kind of suburban-looking yeah. person. And with, with that, when she sort of launched her, you know, attack on Joe Biden about women's rights, it kind of just... One thing that, 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 to me, that felt like it was more of a personal sort of attack, like a, like a justification for her beliefs and her you know, her platform, and she kind of dodged a question at one point about, I think it was about women's rights, and she kind of went, well, we have to ask the broader question, yeah. how do we value women That's in this exactly country? exactly what, yeah, there was a lot of that with yeah. her. And, which is fine to talk about, but I feel like in 2020, people aren't just looking for, mm-hmm. you know, how we can improve women's rights. We're also looking about, if for a lot of Democrats, it's how we can beat Trump. Yeah, you know how can we fix the climate crisis? How can we solve you know, immigration issues, gun control? Yeah, gun I mean, control as well. I, I I've seen plenty of data done of, of people ask, you know, what are your 10, yeah. 10 big issues? And women's rights yeah, is on our list. It's, it's it's yeah, and it, yeah, it's not like some. It, it's not coming from a place of bigotry. It's just like yeah. the reality of just the zeitgeist of America right now. Mm-hmm. You you pull them. It's what you see. Yeah. You know, you think like any sort of like political analyst in her, you know, uh, party or, or committee would, would kind of fill her in on that. Yeah. But, you know, if anything, and just to move on maybe after this, I feel like she's like a slightly younger Hillary Clinton. Yeah. yeah and perhaps more insufferable to listen to. <laughs> I agree. I feel, I feel that Kirsten, I think she's still pulling at 0%. I think that but, sounds about right. Because she was, <laughs> I think, third from the end, but which kind of surprised me. People like Cory Booker are pulling at zero percent, and Amy Klobuchar. I felt that they were able to stand alone enough that they would be pulling above zero percent. Yeah, but 
just to not talk about some of the bigger hitters that I'm surprised about, people I am surprised about that have a chance to go through to the next debates, mm. who probably won't, but mm. there's a, some strange chance that she might is Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson, yeah. She is the a devil lady. <laughs> yeah. I know someone that's going to hate that I said that. <laughs> I've been in plenty of Twitter arguments. That, yeah, she's got the right idea. She's got the right idea. And I agree. She she had decent ideas. But I don't I don't know. I, when when you hear a lot of people talk about her, you don't really hear many people talking about her ideas. That's true. Much like you don't really hear anybody talking about, or you never did hear about many people talking about Trump's ideas. It was a lot of captivating of, of emotions and I, I overarching narratives, which you could perhaps take from there. Yeah, and I, I brought this up during the debate, I think, is that yeah. she is an author. She knows how to craft a narrative. There is a story arc to what she brings up. Absolutely. She starts off with the issue, and then she goes, you know what? What if this? And then she elaborates, and she yep. goes off on this tangent. And as an author, you know how to appeal to people's emotions. You do. You know, you know what words to use, you know how to phrase things. And maybe this is just, you know, the deep stater in me. <laughs> you know, maybe it's maybe it's not a whole thing that she's trying to manipulate or anything. Maybe she actually does believe these things. I'm sure she does, but you know, the way she brings it up is all this whole emotional appeal and this big stirring, you know, speech. And then her idea is kind of, you know, out of the blue, just comes out of the blue and hits you. And there's a lot of masking the idea with that emotional talk. Yeah. Like, um, you know, beating Donald Trump with love. I, yeah. <laughs> like, what does she yeah, mean by that? What a novel idea. Yeah. Yeah, let's beat him with love. Sure. Yeah. Try. <laughs> yeah, let's give it, go, give it a go. I think what's probably perfect about that statement is it appeals to whatever you think she means by that. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, it's such, such a large concept. Like, yeah, we'll beat him with love, whatever that means. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. But um, she's definitely, if you go to Google Trends or something like that, she definitely took uh, center stage. Yeah, that first night she was the most Googled candidate. She was. And then Tulsi I, Gabbard was the next yep, night's most Googled yep. candidate, except for the newer guy, Bullock, Steve Bullock. Okay, yeah. He was in one state, she was the rest. Marion Williamson, I believe she's an anti-vaxxer. Really? I think I've read I read that somewhere. That could be completely wrong, but I I feel like I've read that. I, I, I think I saw official an official statement, a screen grab from her Instagram where she's like, "That's not true. That's unfounded." So it is uncertain. We could look into it here in a little bit, but um, yeah, it's definitely up in the air as to what she believes in terms of specific. All I know is. Um, a vote for her is a vote against the dark psychic forces yeah. that are undergirding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was kind of concerning to me because maybe it's because I don't really agree with her. Also, that she seems a little, a little more like a lunatic. Yeah. Than you know, to use a big word, yeah. I guess maybe it's too general of a word to use. But she was a, she came off a little crazy, more of a a spiritual type than a yeah. political type. To, yeah, just to use a word that she and I noticed she used at least twice in the debate is she's a little wacky. Yeah, I remember wacky. it was very it was a very interesting term yeah. that she used. One um, thing one thing I thought was funny during the debate she go she was um, she kind of interjected at one point or she answered a question and wanted to elaborate and she goes well, maybe next time you'll come back to me I'm like okay maybe <laughs> we start pulling about zero percent right yeah. <laughs> you get more stage time and one thing that, it, that did bug me 
is that no one takes Andrew Yang seriously as a candidate. It is, yeah. It's a little frustrating. Because, you know, Bill de Blasio, also pulling in 0%, or was like 0.1%, yeah. got more airtime of like three minutes or something, something crazy, than Andrew Yang. I think Andrew Yang is a much more serious candidate for president than Bill de Blasio. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Yang's ideas maybe... I agree. He's a joke in his own, like, state, like... Yeah. Look at his approval ratings among New Yorkers. It's, it's absolutely the example I always like to bring up is the um, apologizing for quoting Che Guevara. To <laughs> Gotta love that. That's great class act. <laughs> but I'm not completely on board with Andrew Yang's ideas, but I think it's, it would be remiss of the Democrats to not take him as a serious candidate. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess that might be... Something strange to say because, you know, you look at Cory Booker still pulling in 0%. I mean, Andrew Yang is at 1.8%. Cory Booker is at 0 mm-hmm. So maybe it's a little strange to say that they're not taking him as seriously as other candidates. Yeah, no doubt. But, um, Cory Booker, though, I'm not extremely well-versed in my Cory Booker knowledge. Yeah. All I know, in his words, is that he lives in a low-income area. Which he can hear gunshots from. So. Yeah, in New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah. New York, New Jersey. What yeah. a guy. He's living amongst the people. And I, that may, like, could be very well true. I'm, I'm not going to look up... He's just like me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to look into his living conditions. If he says it, I'll, I'll trust him enough. Yeah. And, you know... I mean, some credit to him, we can get on, like get into some different aspects of Corbett, because he had some recent interviews on some mainstream outlets where he talked about Donald Trump and the, the in relation to the shootings. We can get into that later, perhaps. Yeah. But more onto the tune of the debates, uh, I felt like, as opposed to Kamala Harris, he was not a one-trick pony who was yeah. just trying to club Biden. He kind of held his own, I think. You know, got to give yeah. him credit where it's due. And, and I feel, speaking of him and Biden, the interactions between him and Biden were more brought about by Biden. He they were. was kind of saying, well, you know, you did this and that, and Cory Booker kind of came back and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, his, his, his now famous quote, yeah. uh, you're dipping your, or you're drinking the Kool-Aid, you don't know what flavor it is. Yeah, <laughs> everyone roaring yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing about that, and you'll encounter this throughout life in a multiple scenarios, is that you need to be wary of situations where you're engaging with somebody who doesn't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. And somebody like Cory Booker, he has nothing to lose by having some sort of a, a bout with yeah. Cory Booker. And I think that's where um, he kind of went afoul. He should have perhaps waited for Cory Booker to go more on the offensive and really get at him yeah. get in the, before getting in the mud with him. Somebody pulling at, what, did you say zero? I think, yeah, he's yeah, pulling at zero. zero. But yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the shooting? Or? Yeah, real quick before we get to that, I do want to talk about Julian Castro. Yep, yep, yep. Before I forget, it's not. <laughs> I don't think Julian Castro is very forthcoming on any sort of. I don't know anything personally that he is like a hard stance on other than beating Trump. That's yeah. what he, but I, I love the way he says things. I really do. The appeal and, is there. Yeah, he, he's, he's going for the Latin American vote. He is. More power to him. It's a large voting block. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely done his research, but... And I... I mean... When you start getting the, the Northern Triangle, man. Guatemala. Yeah. <laughs> El Salvador. Those sound bites are great. Nicaragua. I think, like, even for a Latinx, he, he's doing a little much. Yeah. Uh, 
But it's always a, a good humor moment. Yeah, I still, the first debates with the whole Spanish, I mean, when uh, Beto O'Rourke spoke Spanish and Cory Booker was kind of <laughs> taken aback, and that picture, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great picture. Yeah, of uh, Cory Booker there, and then Cory Booker kind of spoke Spanish a little, and I think Julian Castro spoke Spanish that night as well. And my fingers were definitely crossed for the second debate for someone to break out some Spanish, which Queen Castro did. He only said, he said, come 2020 or 2021 or whatever, you know, we're going to say adios to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> like, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. But that's, that's my, that's my hot take on Queen Castro. Yeah. I know nothing about his beliefs and, uh, you know, real quick about Andrew Yang. I talked about him a little earlier. I'm I'm a I'm a, I, th- I would say I'm in the Yang Gang except for his Yang Gang his uh, climate change belief. I mean I guess it's it's a founded belief. <laughs> it's very practical. I mean everyone, yeah. uh, you know, their issues come down to praxis, right? You yeah. Know, like how are they how are the ideas, the theories actually be applied? These sort of I don't know, almost like castration like economic policies of gutting oil and natural gas, which you know we could get into the nuances of that perhaps a future episode where, you know, natural gas is actually pretty good for the environment. As far as pollution goes, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't do a heck of a lot of that. I mean, even, even the term fracking itself, that's referring to the, just the breaking up of the shale, which is generally around uh, the natural gas. I mean, yeah. the extraction of it is actually usually pretty safe. But anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> praxis. But Yang, yeah, he had a very sort of practical minded, almost doomsayer esque, comment on the talk of uh, climate change yeah. it was such a great moment he, he he was very terse he said something to the effect of we need to get to higher ground yeah, <laughs> it's too late you know we have to get to higher ground <laughs> and what disappointed about the about the debate was is they were talking about math and that's his yes thing. his like slogan is math it was know? even on cnn the morning yeah. uh the very next morning they were like uh kamala and biden talking about the math yeah the, the math I think it was Kamala, and, and it was so disappointing. Yep. Because I, I, it's like you could see him there. He's getting all antsy. Like he, he's waiting for his time, and then just kind of gloss over it. Yep. And then, we, and then you know they knew the climate too. change. Yeah, they knew. Yep. They knew. But uh, I would have loved to see Andrew Yang answer a question like, "How do you think you're the candidate to uh, fix racial tensions in America?" And him just go, "Bah." <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, that's that's my that's Andrew Yang for me. I, I, I like the guy. I'm not subscribing to all. I, I don't think we're really doing that for any candidate. Yeah, yeah. Other than for me personally, I, I did say I'm I'm a I'm on the Pete Buttigieg wave okay, right okay. now. We'll, yeah. we'll see what comes of him in the next debate. Sure. And like I said earlier, like I would vote for Pete Buttigieg if I thought that he could you know go the whole way through. And that's one th- like the one thing with Joe Biden. Is that I don't agree with him on everything, on everything because, you know, especially with gun control, he talked about a buyback program. So I'm not a huge believer in that. Yeah. And I, I agree more with Pete Buttigieg, and I don't want to vote for Joe Biden because I feel like he's the safe bet. You know, it's that makes Trump. sense. But so I think that that might conclude the uh, 2020 mm-hmm. debate discussion. Sure. And we can move on to another topic. So. We have, of course, the two shootings in El Paso, uh, with, I think 22 killed, and in Dayton, Ohio, Around with nine. nine killed, I think, yeah. a little more wounded. That's uh, an important issue right now. Everyone's talking about um, 
gun control and mm. you know buyback programs. What we can do, you know, uh, some I know some Republican higher ups in Congress are talking about uh, uh, red flag, you know, legislation or something like that. Background checks, mm. and it I think it is definitely it's an important discussion to have in this country. But it seems like we can never really figure it out and never come to a conclusion with it. Because, like, uh, you know, last year with the, I guess, that was probably 20, that was 2017, wasn't it? Parkland? Okay. 2017 Parkland. or 2018? I guess we look it up real quick. But, yeah, continue. But, yeah, with, with the Parkland shooting, and that started a big student movement, and... 2018. Yeah, 2018 okay. So, this same discussion came about with the Parkland shooting. Of, you know, we should have tougher gun laws, you know, common sense gun laws, gun control, whatever verbiage you might want to use there. Mm. And it was a big thing. I was like, okay, we got to get something done. We have to do it, you know. Um, but that was kind of just pushed under the rug eventually. There was nothing extremely forthcoming in legislation other than the banning of bump stocks, I think, came from that. Yeah. And that might have been it for legal action. And, and I honestly don't have an answer of what could possibly fix this. And I think that's the problem is that it's such a hard issue to fix. Especially when people believe that, oh, it's just as easy as taking the guns away. And that creates oh my a whole set of problems. Yeah. And if you don't do regulation, just leave the gun laws as they are now. Could that bring up more problems? Are we just going to be stuck in a, a loop of, you know, we hear about another mass shooting. And I then think we're just yeah. going to... I but, think that brings up a good point. I think we almost seem to be in a loop. We just talked about like not a lot getting done. We, see, we keep hearing these reoccurring issues. It's almost like there's mudslinging, there's political mudslinging, and then we wait for the next horrific massacre to occur. Yeah. But it, it, it's it's highly controversial, and, and I think this is my hot take. And I, you know, it was interesting. I, I learned recently, especially with the Dayton shooting. I actually knew somebody who ended up passing away in that and that was a little shell shocking um the morning i found out yesterday morning um i didn't know him very well but it, it was definitely a little shy. it definitely brought it more into uh, just sort of like my 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 view but the controversial thing i'm going to get at is just sort of the this the general statistical anomaly of them and it is true like when it comes to something like a school shooting or that Although, and I have to be very careful with this, this is the hot take of the night, <laughs> but although they're horrific, although they're absolutely obscene and there needs to be more done to prevent them, I think it's kind of abhorrent to look to little kids and things and doing these shooter drills without looking at the data and it, it just doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't come to bear that it's statistically significant and I think it does a lot of more harm than get of course there should be protocols in place there should be perhaps more protection in place but i think bringing it um or, or almost just like bringing it with with a lot of charged rhetoric and and, and making a lot of kids panic stricken i mean i remember seeing this clip of this this young girl and she's just you know she's she's very worried about like oh is my school next or something like that and I realize the most recent shootings, not of them were obviously schools during the summertime. But, um, like I said, of course something needs to be done. But I don't think it is healthy 
advocate because there is a major issue with sort of mental health and things of that nature. And I think to that same tune, sort of, I don't know, drilling into young kids' heads that, oh, it could be your school tomorrow mm-hmm. or something like that it is not conducive. It doesn't better anything, but it just makes kids panic-stricken. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of like, oh, let's put bulletproof backpacks on the market. Obviously, if you want to be a parent who's, you know, wants to purchase into that, you're, yeah, you're completely right in doing that if you want to. But I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel that is very conducive to bettering anything by just bringing up an entire generation of people and almost like, I don't know, a panic-stricken mode. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Very... Not a very fully developed idea, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. I, I agree, and I, I can see where you're coming from. I, I do think it is important now, more than ever, to make sure that there are safety protocols, like you said, yeah. like running an active shooter drill. But I can see the same, or the other side, where it'd be, you know, it's creating a lot of stress, yeah. where, as you said, statistically, it probably won't happen. That's very cool. anomalous. But in the case that it does, I guess it's better to be prepared. Yeah. But to come around to the, the the broader discussion of David Hogg's or Hogg yeah David Hogg is I saw his tweet is you know um, don't expect any sort of legislation to be passed to the effect of that you know the US thought it was bearable enough when kids were dying in schools which was you know I, he, he had a sense of saying like we just kind of gave up on mm. you know s- student safety which I don't agree with at all I do agree with the fact that we probably won't do anything legislatively that will bring about any sort of change in this, which, for better or for worse, um, you know, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's a thin line to walk, you know, and Hmm. it's definitely a tricky one with a lot of gray area, and you have to sort of look at a middle ground for this, because, of course, there are people who are going to say, as I said earlier again, take all the guns away, you know, leave the guns, even people who are going to say, you know, we should, you know, roll back some of the gun laws we already have. So there's a lot of ideas that are going to be prevalent in the news for a while now until the next big thing happens. And I, I could see where it would be frustrating in part to where we have this 24-hour news cycle that people care less about things happening because we are just listening for the next big thing and they care about something for a little bit and that was the case with that you know with the parkland shooting is you know that was the thing to care about for a good month or two yeah and then when it was all said and done when the the walkout was done you know um when some of the parkland uh kids who were you know protesting kind of said their piece that kind of fell out of the news and thus, it left space for, you know, the next big news break. And and I can see where people will be frustrated with that. But maybe that's straying away too much from the overall point of the discussion. No, absolutely. And I think the same tune you are saying, like the whole 24-hour news cycle. I had a buddy who had a pretty funny tweet recently. He just talked about, like, a few big things, news why that news-wise that happened. It really kind of puts things into perspective, if I can find it here. But, um, yeah. <laughs> he says, uh, I can't believe Notre Dame was two years ago. Bagel Boss? A few months ago. 
and just you know things along that line yeah. it, 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 living in this sort of I don't even um, hyper accelerated news cycle it, it feels like things are extremely extremely long long yeah. past I thought it was funny that I kept hearing today I was in a restaurant and I had Fox News playing when I went out for lunch and they kept saying, you know, video games are you know, oh coming under gosh. fire. You know, could video games be desensitizing our kids? And some of the most boomer stuff I've heard yeah, in a while. You pretty know? boom core. <laughs> and with that, I mean, the, the argument will always be made by boomers that, you know, oh, video games, they're, they're bad, you know, but they're the main cause of violence. And, and I did a, I read a study that, um, one of the good lines was that, you know, pointing out that uh, criminal played video games is about as relevant as pointing out that the criminal wore socks. Uh-huh. And it's, and I, I personally believe that's probably true. And where it could be desensitizing, yes, I could feel, I could see that it might desensitize a kid when they hear about, you know, a massacre or a shooting like the ones we had, but. It doesn't mean that that's the root cause of the issue and you know when this last shooting happened I wasn't too shocked I, I mean it, it was it's terrible news to hear yeah but it's been norm, sort of normalized by the news they talk about it for a while and then mm-hmm. it's out of the news again so it's a thing and she was like oh you know video games are desensitizing you bad movies are desensitizing you I'm like no yeah I, I, yeah it's just I'm we're used to hearing that news unfortunately yeah. Yeah, to that same tune, I, I heard someone term it as being almost, we almost seem to be in like a post-shooter society. Mm-hmm. Like, it, we're beyond the very reality of it when it occurs. We're almost jumping immediately to the political narrative side of it. And we're, we're beyond the casualties, we're beyond um, even the perpetrators. The... Or we're only using them as political narratives at this point. I agree, and definitely with these last two, you know, usually when there's a shooting, I feel like I, I hear more personal stories, and maybe they are reporting on personal stories, but I have not heard any about you know people who have passed. Maybe it's too soon. I don't know. Yeah. But it seems like it's more about political, you know, messages and narratives, as you said, mm-hmm. because I didn't. I I still have no idea who some of the shooters. I've seen pictures of the shooters. They're not talking about the shooters. They're talking about what the motive was for the shooters. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfectly fine question to ask. But is it really kind of appropriate to call that in question right now and just kind of leave a little bit of a mourning period? I don't know. Maybe that's... It's, oh, my gosh. If we want to talk about belabored opinions, I think that's another one. That, that one's so great. It, 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 it's such an easy, like, could he cookie cutter argument that's 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 sort of thrown by both sides left and right is oh my gosh let the bodies cool and stuff like that mm. and i'm not even talking about the credence of the of the argument itself i just think it's so funny how with any sort of yeah you know political narrative um whenever any sort of like uh horrific event occurs how just quickly it's put into this political narrative and then the sort of shot out there, and then there's the inevitable argument about, oh, the body's cool, like, how could you? Like, there's a lot of that. And I'm not saying there's no credence to that. I'm not saying there's no credence to the, con- or there is credence to the contrary, but it, it's such an overplayed thing. I don't know. Like, 
what's the proper way to talk about the, the absolute massacre of innocent people. I don't think there is a proper way. And I think that's the whole reason we're talking about it to begin, to begin with, is that it's very improper. Mm. And with inside the political narrative of grandstanding and sort of taking ownership of a massacre, I think there's political grandstanding in presuming that, oh my gosh, how, how dare you talk about it in, in a different term? Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree. That's... Yeah. Without saying too much that I... I, I agree. You know, yeah. I, I can't really elaborate on that yeah. anymore. I think, you know, I'm not extremely knowledgeable of the events that have transpired since... Transpired, excuse me, since then. Apart from the political messages. And maybe that's okay I don't know mm. maybe that's showing that I really am desensitized to something mm. but um yeah that's about it for me yeah. yeah and I don't yeah there's not really terribly much to say I mean there's, there's a lot of people talking about what the cause is and stuff and calling out white supremacy and white nationalism and stuff which you know obviously should be done yeah. it's important to see but I mean uh yeah, there's a lot of hot takes with that. Like, where is it coming from? Why is it such an issue now? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, as far as um, the, the one fellow who went in and shot up that African the historically African American church, I think that was like probably the first instance of a massive modern day white nationalist event. Yeah, like earliest that I can remember, apart from perhaps um, uh, Timothy McVeigh or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy suddenly now it's a major issue again uh, it's bizarre yeah I, I think like and perhaps leave it at this and if you want to add something to this people just they got to be careful like with, with, with very strongly politically charged opinions about things whether it be just sort of blunt political statements about very serious issues you kind of have in the you need to have in the back of your mind that there's people out there who are mentally deprived and just um, emotionally deprived, and they're kind of wacky, <laughs> to yeah. borrow from Marion Williamson, <laughs> and they're willing to do some pretty crazy things. So I think, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly in no way or shape or form saying we need to regulate speech or trying to be, you know, anything that, I'm, I'm just saying you, you sort of have to be aware of that, and I think mm -hmm. you got to be careful when you're talking about so-and-so being a white nationalist, yeah. you know whether it be Trump or otherwise, you need to be kind of careful. I don't know. It's hard. It's mm. hard to say. Now, for a short break, listen to this little tune. Alright, now we're moving on to, um, as Isaac put it, Old news. Yeah, old news. Uh, or, or more aptly, nuanced news. Yeah. I call that. With the INF treaty. Now, he seems to be the resident expert. No, not at all. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't, I'm not, oh man, it's creaky, sorry. I'm not well versed in this. I'm not um, extremely familiar, so I'll, I'll let you take it away. Sure. So, INF treaty, of course, is an acronym um, for the Inter uh, Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. And the reason 
to get you on board is why is why it is significant is we recently withdrew as of August second. Um, the U.S. formally suspended the treaty uh, on February first, actually, and you know, following uh, a no response from Russia, who left us on red, the U.S. formally withdrew, withdrew from the treaty on August second. So, why you should care about it, the significance of it, and things of that sort. Um, there was a lot of sort of like political posturing with it, like who is so dumb? Oh my gosh! And, you know, Cold War 2.0 approaches or looms. Um, so we'll just kind of talk about that briefly, and some uh, bullet points with that. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it, it began around the Cold War, uh, 1987, with uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev signing it, um, and it was just sort of an initial treaty over concerns with Europe. Um, in their protection because there was some uh, newer Russian missiles uh, under development. Um, uh, yes, the SS-20 and things of that sort, which they were sort of uh, touting. And in order to maybe hamper that, uh, the U.S. went ahead and signed a treaty uh, with Russia. And as far as smaller missiles, in order to retaliate, the U.S. didn't really have anything. So things would have escalated exponentially if anything occurred. We would immediately going. We would probably immediately be going into using something like um, a Titan II missile or a Polaris missile, which things would get out of hand very, very quickly. Um, of course, the Pershing missile as well with um, uh, submarines. So, anyway, going into sort of the more contemporary news surrounding it um, and things that were said, there was uh, a large. Uh, the Economist uh, wrote a piece on the New York Times and I think the Washington Post all talking about how some sort of op-eds about how it's, it's very poor. Um, and I sort of read into it and what I kind of found is neither country really had intentions on staying in it. I think both of them sort of there was a mutual agreement that it was sort of an arcane document, a, a, a sort of Cold War relic and that it needed to go by and the wayside. Really quickly, yeah, I, I see a quote here to that sort of same vibe of being too old it says on august 5th 2019 russian president vladimir putin stated as of august 2nd 2019 the inf treaty no longer exists our u.s colleagues sent it into the archives making it a thing of the past so i feel like that's a pretty you know concrete way yeah. of saying that it might have been outdated but sure go ahead sorry to no 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 that, that's that's exactly true so and the whole idea that it was just kind of Trump being a wacky idiot, I mean, that aside, um, I think it probably was a good call to withdraw. Russia didn't seem intent on, uh, on upholding it. Um, I, I think at one point, uh, around tensions about them keeping true to the, uh, to the, to the missile treaty, they were, there, were, there, were, there was, government, or there was um, security documents that were leaked or... Um, to, to the U.S. showing that they were developing a new missile. And additionally to that, right around the time, they released actually this uh, military laser uh, that, that, that could track things. And it was not, it was, it was a very unsightly juxtaposition. Like, oh, you're going to sort of hold true to this military <laughs> military treaty? Oh, here's a new uh, military uh, tool we can <laughs> use. Like, oh, okay, very cool, Russia, thanks. <laughs> um so yeah, and then of course the United States, they had no intention on staying at it either. We of course were, were uh, trying to develop various missiles um, earlier this year or late 2018, Russia 
um, they showed off one of their hypersonic missiles, which was a lot of concern that America had nothing to match that and things of that nature. I always find that argument kind of kind of entertaining um, because it's like just because we're not flexing it or just because we're not like putting it out there for public spectacle doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have something like we have mm-hmm. en- we have entire departments a part of the um, the secular def- or uh, a part of our defense program that does like you know um, uh, military testing and heavily funded yeah but uh, where was I going with that so yes um, very arcane didn't hold up oh yes why uh, the US didn't want to stay in a little more on that there was a lot of increasing concerns with with China not being a part of the treaty itself yeah. this sort of going back to how it was arcane is there was talks like oh you know China or uh, China should be included why doesn't America just just reorganize the treaty to include China mm-hmm. well America didn't want to remain in it anyhow and neither did Russia so just yeah. trying to broaden it to include China it, it really wouldn't matter because China was already um, uh, an up and running nuclear power and missile power so no one really wanted to redo it anyhow but it was a major concern without China being a part of the treaty it, it didn't really have much I don't know, uh, credence, I guess, to not belabor yeah. that word. As far as this goes, do you agree with the statement that this could possibly start like a, another arms race? Could this essentially be the birth of a new Cold War? Or is that just sort of rhetoric that is not, not appropriate, but, mm-hmm. you know... Is it just yeah fodder for the news or yeah it... I think I think it really is like with Russia developing a hypersonic missile and, and things of that sort yeah that's um, that's definitely news and that should be looked into and America with treaty or not they're going to try to have something to match that or be better than that mm-hmm. so I think this whole idea like it's gonna start a new arms race there kind of already is this unacknowledged un blown out of proportion uh, arms race that, that that's always going on with, with countries yeah and i think this it, it's just another like political cudgel almost it's like you know beating the the, the whole uh trump caricature that he doesn't know what he's doing and stuff like yeah. that um yeah there was a really entertaining quote somewhere that i wanted to read that putin said uh one second Okay, yeah. So anyway, it says here, this prompted Putin to state that Russia would not launch first in a nuclear conflict, but would annihilate any any (laughs) adversary, essentially restating the policy of mutually assured destruction. And the next sentence reads, Putin claimed Russians killed in such a conflict will go to heaven as martyrs. I thought that was great. (laughs) It'd be interesting to talk to an actual Russian about how they felt about their leader talking about how that they would die and go to heaven as martyrs. (laughs) I think if Trump said anything sort of akin to that, that would be the news for a week. Yeah. And I think this could even go back to the whole democratic debates. There was, there was definitely some talk of, yeah, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Maybe we, maybe that's a good jump, jump, jumping board. Um, yeah. So with that, I was going to bring up, um, Elizabeth Warren was, I don't know if she was asked or she brought it up. But she said that we would never strike first in a, in a nuclear engagement. 
that if, say, Russia or China, North Korea, whoever, would launch a missile, I guess it's probably a bad way of saying it, that if there was ever increased tensions or a war with another country that had nuclear weapons, we would not strike first. We would allow them to essentially strike us first with their nuke and give us a justifiable cause. Which is very will. fascinating. I mean, yeah. look, looking back, um, I recently read uh, Eric Schlocker's book, Command and Control, and he talks about the, the sort of general uh, military protocols and, and what we had in place. And for a long time, the idea was if we felt that tensions were high enough, we would attack first. Mm-hmm. And it was the plan, like, and, and it was encouraged by Europe, you know, this whole idea that Europe's just sort of this damsel in distress, is <laughs> very neutral in the, in the, in the nuclear arms race, yeah. or even uh, currently, if, if you want to call it such. Um, Europe was, was almost sort of like instigating it in a certain way, like sort of egging on, like, we, we need to attack them when they're... This is, of course, really, really early on in the Cold War. As far as now and the actual uh, legitimacy of what Elizabeth Warren was saying about attacking first, it, it would be extremely unprecedented. And I think this sort of went to the whole argument I was saying earlier that we were having when we were talking about the debates after the fact. I felt it was it, w- it was kind of disgusting that we were talking about, uh, you know, atomic annihilation and whether or yeah. not we would attack Russia first. I think that was kind of silly. And it was almost like, why are we even talking about this? Yeah. I agree, especially because it's like, it's, there's no nuclear tensions right now other than maybe North Korea. Yeah. And with the pulling out of the INF Treaty, maybe that causes some sort of tick in the death con encounter. <laughs> I have no idea. But it just seemed kind of out of place. It's, you know, why are we talking about using nukes when in the foreseeable maybe five to ten years, fingers crossed, there's no, <laughs> and, you know, there's no foreseeable conflict that is an immediate danger. And maybe some people think that with North Korea because... You know, we go over there time and time again and be like, hey, you know, don't don't test your nukes, and they do it again. Yeah. And, and what, are, what do these politicians mean by this broadly saying nukes? I mean, yeah. we have a sort of multitudinous array of tactical nuclear weapons that are disposable, <laughs> exactly. which are, by technicality, nukes. Yeah. So to suggest we wouldn't use any sort of tactical nuclear device at all yeah. uh, or be the perpetrator of that. I don't think we would, honestly, because of the general like global backlash. But I think, like, I don't know, it's not out of the realm of possibility or something like that. We're talking with something within, within the kiloton range, nothing crazy. Yeah. But I say that and and <laughs> very lightly. But of course, looking back to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those were kiloton. Yeah. But we're talking very, very low. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So. Um, um, not to backtrack too far in history, but one thing I think it's interesting about missile treaties, especially nuclear treaties, is that time and again they have failed. Yeah. You know, if you look at um, Assault 1 and Assault 2, nothing really kind of ha- came of that. Mm. I mean, Richard Nixon was like, yeah, we have to, you know, you know save this, this planet by stopping any sort of nuclear annihilation. And of course, for a Cold War president, that's sort of yeah. big issue number one, especially with you know the, uh, the legacy of Kennedy and and the um, Cuban Missile Crisis. But you know these kind of we just do these things that 
are I feel like more just coddling the people of the world and being like, we we talked about it at least <laughs> you yeah. know we we actually we had a discussion about it. And if I had to assume, if there was going to be any sort of nuclear treaty that would actually work, it would have to be on a global level. Mm. You can't just go to one region and say, hey, don't use your nukes, because then if they're behind, if there's a war, they're screwed, you know? Yeah. So no one's going to individually or often willingly, you know, stop nuclear production yeah, or and, testing. And it's kind of funny you mention that. I mean, probably the nearest thing to that would be the United Nations, and even mm-hmm. still we have countries doing sort of erroneous kind of dangerous things and you, you, you know not to be completely non-factual um there was of course some things that, that came out of the inf treaty i think like um uh, uh, a particular portion of um our nuclear capabilities were or were drawn back and of course i think russia more so they decommissioned some missiles and that's essentially what it is i use the word decommission there when you see these treaties, these nuclear missile treaties, it's very funny. You'll see negotiating happening and like, wow, look, we're, we're going to reduce our, our nuclear arsenal. Essentially, it's, it's an opportunity for us to sort of politically maneuver ourselves into decommissioning old and useless missiles. Yeah. You know, I, I remember distinctly um, us trying to do a treaty with the Soviet, you know, the Soviet Union, and we were going to decommission a certain amount of um, our Minuteman missiles, which were these leaky, small, poorly, uh, you know, maintained missiles that were kind of just more of a risk than than anything, and were mostly being used in in, in stockpiles in Europe anyhow. And we were like negotiating, like, hey, well, Russia, I mean, hey, man, we're going to get rid of these these Minuteman missiles. Well, I, there was a lot of um, political. Uh, advisors military advisors which were suggesting for us to get rid of them anyhow without leveraging them <laughs> uh, with, with some sort of treaty so it is kind of entertaining to watch but i i think what all this is to say is the inf treaty us withdrawing not a big deal and then secondly that i wouldn't expect to have your house be atomically annihilated any <laughs> anytime soon yeah don't worry about duck and cover yeah no worries about that yeah I, I love some of the, the 50s, you know, videos, though. That They're great. You're going to watch another old political cartoon. you got to watch the ISM cartoon. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's great. The bear <laughs> the bear one is good, too. It's I not a cartoon, it. though. It's a Ronald Reagan uh, Oh, the camera, yeah. The bear. Yeah, oh, he's my, walking through the wall. Oh, my gosh. Like, there's a bear yeah. in the woods. It's very, I don't know, very rich. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to be as strong? The bear. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching that in uh, my AP US history class. It's awesome. Along with that, we also watched um, this Russian cartoon about an old lady who wills everything to her bulldog. And that was wills the only. Everything to her yeah, she wills everything to her bulldog. Wills, okay. Like, so all these investors and bankers and family members come around after she dies. Yeah. And she gives everything to the bulldog. And it was, it's just a dumb thing about like this is why capitalism sucks <laughs> that at any moment, someone could just easily will you know their pet their entire fortune wow but one thing that was funny about that entire cartoon is the only english word they said was bulldog <laughs> so well you see bulldog <laughs> <laughs> but man you got you get, you get some great stuff out of the cold war especially for media Absolutely. and propaganda uh, on both sides. Exactly. There's some great U.S. Uh, uh, propaganda that came yeah. out of it. 
I like me a good klaxon siren <laughs> going off and people running around on a tarmac. Yeah. With that, you know, the this is really not what this podcast is about <laughs> as far as what I'm about to bring up. is I, I There's a great coffee table book called um, Made in the USSR. And it's all things designed in the Soviet wow, Union. And it's a great really book. Cool. I would have got it had it not been forty dollars. Wow. Yeah, I'm actually yeah, I'm gonna yeah, jot that down. It is a great little book. It's got cars they designed, uh, posters, food, all sorts that of stuff. Awesome. It talks about like architecture and how the Soviets design stuff. Wow. And it's it's a fascinating book. It really is. And I sat down at the used bookstore and read about half of it. I mean, because it's mostly pictures. Well, they still have a commentary on it. It's a great, it's a great book. So, whoever wrote that book, you better sponsor this. Yeah, <laughs> we're really yeah, yeah we're we're, we're, we're bolstering the Americana stamp of approval. But yes, so I think I think that's that's our closing discussion for the INF treaty. Yep, and we can move on to other topics. Yep. All right, so that brings us to uh, the the last part of the episode in which. Uh, in this case, Isaac and I, hopefully Isaac sticks around as a co-host, <laughs> the primo, but, uh, ooh, sticks falling. but uh, <laughs> this is the part where we would just discuss, and I think it, it, it adds a nice human element to the podcast, yeah, yeah. apart from our bigotry from earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Please do excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just have a, a nice discussion, so it'll be more of a, as sure. Isaac said, riffing. Yep, so. a riff, uh, riff off. So Isaac did have a, his topic okay. for discussion is the issue of no good podcast about words and language. Absolutely. So, like, if, if I were in a perfect world to have a pursuit as an occupation, it would be something literary in nature. But, you know, that aside, and to anybody who is pursuing that, power to you. I love that, and I wish I could do the same. But I don't know. I, I don't feel as committed, maybe. But, anyway, the issue of podcasts, you know, that, that I found. I recall searching, you know, quick Google search. I did a little digging around, like, some sort of, uh, you know, websites that sort of try to categorize and label some podcasts. And I wasn't able to have any, um, any, uh, any luck there. Um, podcasts about just sort of things literary. Now I'm sure there's a there's podcasts that talk about books and stuff, but I think it'd be really fascinating to have a podcast just about words. And I know things like I think like Dictionary.com or something they do like a word of the day mm-hmm. and they talk about it, and it's like probably six minutes. You know what yeah. I mean? And I don't think it's really doing um, logophiles, people who have an infatuation with words, a lot of service. So well, something I would like to talk about. Or uh, other aspiring logophiles <laughs> is the idea of auto antonyms. So they, it, it does have a wiki, and I, I will be referencing it. Um, but uh, I'll be honest; I heard about it through the, the great man, the legend Vsauce, um, about auto antonyms, where he had a, uh, a, a video about just just words, and um, I think he was talking about homophones and that sort that's an older video isn't it because i've it never is. seen that it is but it, it's a great refresher so what is an auto antonym and i love one uh, uh another word for auto antonyms they can all be they can also be called janus words 
And of course, Jane is hearkening back to the Roman god with two faces. So they're, they're, they're words that, that can serve a dual purpose in the case of the word cleave. I didn't really know this about cleave. I've only really heard it suggested in, in, in the former way, but it can mean to cut apart or bind together. And I, I just think that's very fascinating. Um, other words that are similarly used um, are to bound. It can mean to uh, you know tie something up, to make it immobile, or um, it can be to leap. You know, you're bounding with joy. You're jumping around. So I think hmm. this is very fascinating. I see there's another example here. It says, in English, inflammable means combustible, but can be taken to mean non-flammable by people who wrongly treat the in as meaning not. So English language safety labels typically use flammable. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so there you go. I show a picture. It says flammable, and underneath it two times it says inflammable. And one, of course, is independent. But that's interesting. I didn't really yeah. know. Mo well, first of all, that people interested in language were called logophiles. Yes. I suppose words rather than... But that's interesting. I, I, I remember seeing the Vsauce video about that. Yeah. I, I, this sounded familiar, but I had no idea. Yeah. Nice refresher there. It's, oh, it's got a whole list. I know. Examples of English. Appropriate can mean to give money or assets or to delegate yeah. to as well as to take something. Yeah. And Sight, I, ooh. The, the linguistic examples are, are a little fascinating as well. Perhaps we'll find another word for that. But um, <laughs> the first pizza was shit. The second one, though, was the shit. I love <laughs> that. That's great. Scan. I mean, to scrutinize or you just skimmed it. You just scanned it. But I scanned Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. Impregnable. Yeah. Invulnerable. Also vulnerable. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I love synonyms for words, too. So I, I talk about how an autoantonym can be referred to as a Janus word being dual-faced, but that also can be called a contronym. Yeah, I like that. Contronym. Interesting. Hmm. Good words here. We're getting good words. Absolutely. This podcast. Absolutely. The logophiles. Yes. <laughs> Do, do come back, logophiles. We will talk about words and things, <laughs> language. Um, yeah. So as far as talking about other things, um, would you want to talk about personal events, things that have happened to you in recent in, in recent time? I have a few interesting sure. stories, little factoids. I'll throw in a, a story for all you Marianne Williamson fans. Okay, whoa. I saw a ghost. Oh, that's right. I, 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 didn't really, big. I didn't get to elaborate on this. And I, and I completely forgot about it. Maybe that just goes to show maybe it was just some of mine. I don't know. I feel like cause I, so I, I'm a big fan of Ghost Adventures. I think it's a bunch of bullcrap, some of the stuff they do, because it's all, oh, I feel this and that, you know. I just saw something, but of course, convenient, it's off camera. Yeah. You know. Like, so oh, I just went away. Exactly. And then on one of the episodes that I watched, they locked this guy in this basement. And already, when. But when you say, okay, I'm going to get locked in a basement, your mind is going to say, like, even when you're just sitting in the dark, your mind just kind of makes up things. And yep. It's like, oh, did I just see something? Did I just hear something? I know from personal experience that my mind does that. Sometimes I'll be sitting downstairs in the dark watching TV, and I feel like I see a shadow out of the corner of my eye. And then your brain's kind of like, ah. But in this case that I saw this quote-unquote ghost, it was kind of out of the blue. Like, there was no way I was, like, thinking about it. I was outside. I was stargazing with my family. 
and I was kind of in an argument about where Jupiter was. Like, <laughs> it was pretty clear where Jupiter was, but come on. But yeah, exactly. Right. And then I, I kind of glanced down, and it's important to note the things that were in my yard because we were sitting on a patio, and I was on the opposite side of the patio. Yeah. And on our patio, we have this little statue of like an angel or something. My mom put up, and the reason I bring that up is, I guess I should explain. So I was looking up at the sky, and I looked down for a second, and out of the, the tree line from my right, this shadow just, like, it looks like it's running. Wow. And it's like, I, I feel like I saw, like, the arms swinging. Yeah, he described, he distinctly described the flailing arms. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think of anything, that would be the most off-putting and freakish thing to me. Yeah. Is seeing this simple. blackened figure flailing its arms exactly. away in the yard. Like, that would terrify It was fast, and, it, and for some reason... As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, it's my neighbor Kyle. Kyle's my age, and I haven't seen him for, and I haven't talked to Kyle in, in forever, so I don't know why. I was like, oh, this is something Kyle would do. And, I, <laughs> and then it got a little closer, and I was like, shit, that's a ghost. <laughs> you know, that's a ghost. And my, I'm, seeing a, a, I'm seeing a spiritual entity or yeah. something. And the reason I brought up the statue is because when it ran in front of the statue, it disappeared behind the statue and came out the other side. So maybe it was my mind playing tricks on me. But I felt it was pretty real because, like, you, you see something go behind How tall something. was so it? It was about the size of, like, a normal person. I was, like, five foot something. So no, it's not a big... It couldn't be construed as a Bigfoot. Tag. No, no, it's yeah. not It's not, It's not. not a Bigfoot. Or, or um... Or people say shadow people are fairly tall, but... This one was kind of, like, average height. I, yeah. I feel like I, I, could, I could see the outline of the head and shoulders. Interesting. You might have to ask a few questions. Are you Go ahead. Sort of, okay, yeah. So, away. I am a much a, a skeptic about, about ghosts. I've never had a paranormal... I've had one sort of quasi-paranormal experience where I had sort of like an auditory phenomenon happen mm. to me. But apart from that, I've had nothing that I could construe as such. But you said you were gazing up into the stars, you know, look, looking at in Jupiter, you recall. Maybe there was some sort of like subliminal thoughts of aliens was it an alien <laughs> i don't know i'll tell you what though what was really interesting that night is like 10 minutes before that as we we're starting we saw a meteor that's cool and you could tell it's a meteor because it's got like a red tail like a burning tail and you burn the thing after you're like wow that's awesome yeah but and i looked up like out of superstition i was like the meteors like yeah have a symbolic meaning to something but nothing would love it but <laughs> anyways could it? Could it? I, I didn't remember talking about aliens. Maybe subliminally. Subliminally. Yeah. I thought it was an alien. I don't yeah. know. I mean, it I didn't feel look like tiny. It, it just it just came out of nowhere. You know, yeah, it wasn't tiny. You said it was human. It was size. like it was like five foot. I don't know five. It was a little shorter than me. It looked like. Wow. And a little alienoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could describe it as such. Yeah, but and I was just looking up in the sky and I looked down for a second. I'm like, how dark was it out? You said it was all black. It was just yeah. It, it was the, you could see the light of the moon was illuminating the ground. Okay. And I couldn't see through this thing that you was moving. Fact check you. Well, what phase of the moon? I was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your little fun fact about moon phases. Lincoln, uh, he used to be a prosecutor. He was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He. There's a famous case where he references a moon phase, and that's how he disproves this guy's uh, case. Really? He's like, that's not true. That's the fascinating. Moon phase is wrong. Unfortunately, I don't know the moon, yeah, <laughs> the moon phase. Yeah, I, I could have had my link in moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, it was bright enough out that I could see the ground in the area around me. It's still dark enough that I couldn't see, you know, 20 feet away or what have you. 
But I remember seeing. I, I remember so was it was within twenty feet, or it was within like ten feet of me. Whoa! It was that's what made it terrifying, as it was that so close. Is and I, I, I couldn't see through it when it was running. You know, okay. It was just so a it black like figure. Yeah, it wasn't. And it, okay. I remember I looked down and I saw it, and like I said, the first two seconds I was like, "Oh, it's Kyle." My name is Kyle. <laughs> Wasn't Kyle, and I was like, "Oh God!" Did you yell anything? Like, did you, did you like, "Hey, hey hello?" I went, "Oh God, what is that?" And my mom was like, "What, what, what, what?" So she didn't see it. No. Okay. And my dad was just sitting there, like, "What's going on?" He was like two feet away from me. It was like ran. As far as you know, him. you only saw. It. Yeah, and and you know, I'm never too genuinely afraid of things, and that genuinely scared yeah, me. I mean, how and it ran it? towards my house. Oh, it wasn't running away? No, it was running from the trees towards oh my, my house. God. And it disappeared behind my dad's truck that was sitting in, in wow. the driveway there. And it was terrifying. I ran inside. My dad was like, I'm just going to clean up out here. He didn't know what was going on until he, until he came in. Like 20 minutes later, he's like, what was that? I was like, yeah. I think I saw like a demon or something. Dude, you had a yeah, demonic experience. But that's my phenomenal recent yeah. happening you said you had a couple stories ah uh, yeah just one readily comes to mind it's, <laughs> it's not as extravagant yeah. it doesn't involve anything paranormal sadly but I, w- I was coming back from the gym a few days ago and um i, I was walking along the the, the the path and there was this gentleman this older guy small you know kind of kind of shorter and he's like hey hey i'm like what like take my earbuds out and like what, what's going on? He's like, you got you gotta help me, you gotta help me, Morty. No, <laughs> like, you gotta help me. Uh, there's this lady over here. She's too drunk to walk. You gotta help her inside her inside my like this house, like my house. Yeah. And my immediate like, and I kind, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm glad this was my first question, but I was like, okay, do you know this lady? Like, yeah. Am I gonna like be like sort of accomplice? Conce- yeah, an accomplice. Yeah, conceded in some sort of crime. And, you know, he's like, yeah. And he sort of laughs at it. He kind of scoffs at that, that question. But I felt like it was a very warranted yeah. question. Like, do you get this lady here? Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you know her? At least, like, he, at least he didn't go, it was too meta of a question. <laughs> ask that. Yeah, uh, sorry, bro. But uh, no. <laughs> I, I kind of, I walk a little bit more forward and I look to the right. And he's, there's this lady sort of crumpled on the floor and leaned up against the, the, the back tire of his car. And she's kind of slumped there, has a cigarette in her hand. I'm trying to smoke. I'm trying to smoke. I need a light. And I walk over, and he grabs her by by her arm, and is like, oh, "We're gonna get you up." You know, I got I got this guy to help you, and she's just sort of in this inebriated state, and you can smell the alcohol in her in her in her, uh, in her breath. So, uh, what he was saying seemed to be factual, and she just kept mumbling about how she's trying to light her cigarette. And this was probably like four, four thirty. So I had some crazy yeah. day drinkers, older couple. <laughs> and I grab her arm. I kind of, I sort of asked for consent. I was just sort of like, "Hey there, miss. Like, I'm gonna help you get in." You know, and she, yeah. she just, wait, <laughs> I need, a, I need a light my cigarette. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's people walking around. Yeah. There's like, a, there's like a firehouse nearby. People are peering at me. So it was, it was a rough rough one but anyway at one point he's just like ah forget it like thank you for trying to help me he shakes my hand and i'm off and i definitely scrubbed my hands when i got home you don't know, <laughs> know what they're into yeah but yeah that, that was a strange like very odd it was almost like it, it felt set up to me it felt yeah. like an ethical dilemma like an ethical scenario <laughs> like do you help this lady yeah. what's, what's, that, what that's, what's that dude's name from that show oh uh 
Rodriguez or like he's Hawaiian or something like that. Yeah, he's like hi, Gonzalez I'm Gonzalez or Christian, whatever. And you're on. What would you do? Yeah, yeah. He's like I didn't help. You're a bad person. Yeah. You don't help stranger get inebriated woman into an <laughs> undisclosed location? Like, come on. What a bigot. Yeah. <laughs> Here's his unblurred face. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, his wow. name is this, and you could attack him at this address. <laughs> yeah. Here's his Twitter app. His handle. Oh, man, that's good. So that was a strange interaction. Yours might be founded more in reality than that. <laughs> it was. It wasn't. No, no, no. Yeah. 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 Ghosts are weird. Wow. So are drunk ladies. I, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Ghosts and drunk ladies. That's the title now. <laughs> yeah. Um, twenty twenty guns, ghosts, and drunk ladies. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the title of the episode. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I I so wish I've had a paranormal experience. I want to I want to have one come out with an axe. Like I want something crazy to happen. <laughs> like, you ghost. Know, well, no, no, no. Ghost axe. <laughs> yeah. The reason. Yeah. I want something that, like, it, something happened, man. Yeah. Like, I want to walk away with something. This this crap happened, you Just bro. come to my house, and we'll stargaze for a little bit, <laughs> and then and then we'll, we'll see some demons in my yard. Yeah. You know, since I've been super paranoid to go back, right, because it's right, right next to my house, and I left my um, camp chair there, and I left the little sleeve of the camp chair there, and it's been blown around the yard for about seven days now, because I've been, like... <laughs> neglecting to go out and get it on the off chance that I bump into this shadow dude yeah. here, you know? There's more poltergeist about And <laughs> just today I went out and I was kind of like real cautious about it, being super superstitious about it, I, I guess, maybe a little too concerned. I'm kind of walking around the yard real slowly. I'm looking at the, like, the place where it came from and like grab the thing slowly out of the grass and just Suddenly, this real strong gust of wind. I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah, and it was like, ah, it's just wind. Yeah. And I started like, I like walked with my back to the house and like, uh, I'm gonna yeah. see whatever's coming at me, you know. Yeah. Joe, Joe, what if, what if, as you're doing this and sort of your trepidatious moment, so, it's broad day, like kind of like it's kind of dusk. Little gray man, about the size that you saw, sprints at you, and like speaks in English, and you're kind of startled by this, and it's like, Joe. Joe, you gotta help my inebriated alien wife. <laughs> you gotta help her into the spacecraft. <laughs> Would you help? Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, do you know your alien wife? Is it just an alien? You yeah, actually, up? yeah. It's like you, gotta, you make sure you're not conceded <laughs> yeah. in uh, intergalactic uh, space space race. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be an accomplice in an inter- intergalactic crime. You know. Yep. God forbid. You know? God forbid. I don't know what the what what sort of legal action would Absolutely. befall me. <laughs> I think like. You would sort of set legal precedent for all of all of mankind. Exactly. Wow. Maybe I should. If that happens, I'm definitely helping. If 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 some five foot three, gray alien man rushes at me from the woods, and says, "Ah, you got to help me. My wife is, you know, my alien wife. She's collapsed." Like, well, first of all, you're a week late. <laughs> Second of all, you know, okay, don't. I'm not gonna get like. And there's no repercussions that could be, you know, befall me that are negative, well, you right? you don't know that. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can I ask? Can I be like, you know, I'm not going to get, like, probed or anything, right? Well, taken perhaps your... he says something to the effect of this gentleman said, and he just kind of scoffs at that. I think it's funny. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sure. Like, I think it would be better for me to help than to not help. 
Because if I turn down an benefit. alien, yeah, like he knows where I live, they, absolutely, and he's gonna be mad. And he he got here this from some other planet. Me. Yeah, he's got a spaceship. God knows what yeah. else he has. Yeah, he could come back in a blink of an eye. Yeah, jeez, Joe, you better help. Man. I bet I'm helping. Yeah, for my own sake, even absolutely. But he doesn't know that. Yeah, floor gone for me. <laughs> you know, whatever planet. Trouble Madora. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Curvoning it reference. I remember reading Slaughterhouse Five, not to go completely off track, and the page where he drew the breasts, you know, <laughs> with the necklace, the circle, was, yeah, <laughs> the circles. I was reading that at the beach, and my, these people are walking by, looking at what I'm reading, and they're like, oh. <laughs> you know, my, oh god, let's get this page over with, you know. And for like two minutes as I'm reading, these people, like, that's so inappropriate. They're walking by, they're whispering. My mom's like, "What are you reading?" I'm like, "It's Kurvonegat." It's a classic. It's a literary classic. If it wasn't, they wouldn't have it in the school library. That's <laughs> you know? very strange. If anything, that's more strange than your than your alien slash poltergeist encounter. <laughs> it's Puritans at the beach. Yeah. yeah. But it was like, you know, people are walking around with kids. I guess I get it. You know, the kid somehow looks in my book and be like, you know, boobies or something, you know. But, you know, it's a strange world we live in. It is. Definitely. Yeah. Stay curious. No. <laughs> Stay curious. But um, I believe. I think um, everyone should be due to tune into our next episode. We're going to talk all about the history of uh, Tic Tacs. <laughs> okay. no. I think that's a great topic. Yeah, perhaps that was that was a joke. That was my bad joke. <laughs> I wanted to say that before we ended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, that's fine. Well. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Absolutely. In. Hopefully you enjoyed. It's a bit. It's a bit of a. A longer podcast, but I think if you Perhaps sit down, we'll be edited and, down maybe. yeah, I think anyway, we'll if cut you, out the bigoted parts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll censor those parts for the sake of our own reputations. Yeah, but um, hopefully you enjoyed maybe sitting down, or maybe you have a long commute to work, or maybe you're just listening to listen. Yeah. So hopefully this podcast has engaged you and interested you enough absolutely on not only a political level but a personal one where you can enjoy the stories at the end yep. which i i think that would be a great addition to the podcast is at the end just have a block where we talk about things that are happening yep. and fun stories and yep. keep people engaged as well so <clears throat> then again um hope you enjoyed stay tuned next time i am joe and this is isaac, I'm isaac. <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> and that was isaac <laughs> yes and this was Americana, so thanks all for tuning in. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. That was Americana. Isaac and I want to thank you for listening, and hopefully you stay tuned for the next episode when we will be inside, actually, and record with much better audio quality. If you stuck it out to the end, we appreciate your time and you listening. So thank you all, and we'll see you in the next one.